You've reached the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. I'm so lucky today to have this wonderful guest, Elon Carter. Elon Carter is an actress. She's an international model. She's a dancer, a soul train dancer, and she's danced with groups like the, the Jacksons, Duran Duran, Bobby Brown, Richard Marks, Tone Loke. She's appeared on Seinfeld, Team Knight Rider, Mike Hammer, Black Scorpion, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Man, I could just keep going on. Um, she was recently profiled on YouTube. They, they do a nice profile of the dancers for the uh, Soul Train Music Awards. And they profiled her and she's almost has a half a million downloads. And you've only been out with that for like about 12 or 13 days now. Um, her stepfather is Otis Williams, uh, one of the founders of The Temptations. Um, is there any? Oh, and I have to mention this. She is an author. She's writing a book. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm going to give that away or not. She's an author, writer, journalist, and then she's going to talk about her new project with NFTs, and we'll get to that at the end. But thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I, I can't believe. Happy to talk about some of the new projects and actually have an opportunity to get a platform to, you know, the new things that I'm doing. Like the Soul Train stuff was from a long time ago because then that dates me how old I am, right? So I like usually try to keep that hush hush. But since the new episode came out, <laughs> well, I you know, I, well, I, I guess I'll start. I guess we'll start there. I mean, um, what were you born and raised? Um, I was born in uh, Nutley, New Jersey. Actually, Newark, New Jersey, but I grew up in Nutley, New Jersey. Um, I was raised there until about what eight, nine, and then my mother. But my mother got remarried to my stepfather when I was five. So I kind of stayed on the East Coast uh, with my father uh, for a while. And then because at that time, kids were not allowed to live in uh, any apartments or condos. So until they bought a house, I moved out here when I was technically 10 and um, and was raised in the Valley. I'm a Valley girl, true Valley girl when it was cool to be Valley girl. <laughs> so actually, I was raised in Los Angeles and um, I've traveled overseas. When I started modeling at a young age, I went over to Europe, uh, did that whole thing, came back. But I started dancing on Soul Train as a teenager through some friends. Um, and so that just kind of became a fun thing. And then I kind of fell into modeling by accident. And uh, But let me, let me ask you a question here. I, and trust me, you have a, an amazing story. And one of the things I want to ask you when did you find out that your stepdad was kind of famous or was into the music industry? I mean, how, how did your mom and dad meet and what was your relationship with them growing up? So my mother's friend was dating one of the guys in the group. And so at Cherry Hill, they, she, he took, she took my mother to one of the temptation shows. And so my stepfather was hitting on my mom she wasn't paying attention. Now my mother is, was a playboy bunt bunny. I ended up being a playmate later because of her, but she was a playboy bunny and he was like right on her. And I guess they dated for a while. Finally, they ended up getting together. And um, as a little kid, he's always been on the, I don't know if you would remember this, the dinosaur show back in the day. And I remember going to the dinosaur show. I remember being like around the Jackson five and John Travolta lived in our building. I used to get in the elevator with him all the time. And at that time is when he did Saturday night uh, fever. And I remember being a little girl and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and, and so he's like, he told me and his friends, he told my friends what apartment he was in. And we used to knock on his door all the time. He was the nicest guy. He was young. We always, he's like these little kids. So 
it was kind of normal to me to be around all these celebrities. And as I got older and start being around my friends, people would come to my house and be like, why are there all these gold records on in your, in your house? I'm like, oh, my dad's a singer. But I really never talked about it unless you came to my house because it was very normalized, which now with social media, everything is sensationalized. Back then you didn't do anything. You didn't say anything. And he was just like, very strict on me. And, you know, you don't, you have to work for everything you get. It was so old school. So I didn't think to be like, Oh, guess what? Who my dad is now the kids nowadays. Cause I have friends who have celebrity parents whose kids are celebrity parents. And these kids are like, Oh, they go to school. My dad's this and that. And I just sit back and go, wow, I never did that because my parents didn't allow me to do that. And so let me ask you, you said your parents were strict with you. Um, like when you were, when you were younger, um, particular, I guess, I guess, elementary school transition to high school. Did they, did they push you to do well in school or did they kind of keep you out of that celebrity lifestyle? Well, you know, I had shenanigans when I was young. I shouldn't be saying this, but I did. <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. why I'm strict on my kids. Um, I was dancing on Soul Train when I, when I was 14 is when I first went on the show. Then I started hanging out across the hill in Los Angeles. And back then I had fake ID and I would hang out in the clubs. And my dad was always on tour. So half the time he didn't know where I was. And my mom was young and I was just hanging out. And I did well in school, but not as well as I could have. Because I once I, I was very good student until I got into that side of the industry. Um, and I actually went back to school to get my degree later, like when I turned 30, because I was focused and got caught up in the whole entertainment thing. Even though I wasn't really modeling yet, I just was hanging out with friends that were the cool kids. And so I'm strict on my kids because I know the stuff that I did. So how um, they, he was strict, though. Like, I, I had to be very careful. You know, as I got older, I dated industry people, pretty famous people. And I was very careful not to do but so much right because i didn't want anything to circle back to him and he was very strict like i don't want to hear anything crazy so i was a good girl i didn't drink i didn't do drugs um i didn't smoke so but my friends and i would sneak into the clubs all the time so we would just go out just to dance right we were not we were underage but that's pretty much what we did and thank goodness we came up in a time where i hung out with that group of young women that did that kind of protected we kind of protected each other it's different now you know um i was just really lucky that i grew up with a good group of people did you have any brothers and sisters um i have a half sister because my biological dad got remarried later on so i have a, a a sister her name is kelly carter and she is in new york and she's fabulous She's an editor and fashion director of Bloomingdale. She worked for O Magazine. She's actually verified. Um, just really awesome. Like her career is really taken off, does all kinds of TV stuff. Um, so yeah, I do have a half sister. And, and let me ask you, so how did you get, how was it getting at 14 years old, you got discovered to go on, if you can just describe how this all happened. And if you can go, I mean, was it common for someone under the age of 18 to be on Soul Train. How did you get how did you get past that? Well, there was a whole bunch of young people on Soul Train, believe it or not. There's a couple of actresses like Vivica Fox was on the show. The, the good girls were on the show. But how I got on is my mom's friend, one of her friend's sons, like, hey, my son's going on Soul Train. I don't know how I think they might have been connected to entertainment and he doesn't have a date. And, you know, would your daughter go? I didn't even know the guy. 
And when I watched the episode, I was laughing because I've never, I haven't seen the guys since we did the scramble board. And I was 14. I looked like 12, right? When you see, when you watch it. And um, he was really sweet. And someone must have told them my dad was Otis Williams of the Temptations because they invited me back. And so I guess he just didn't go back because right away they put me on the risers. Like, so I started dancing on the stages right away. Now at that time, I didn't know why they picked me because I looked so young looking back. My best friend is now married to the producer that puts the people on the stage to this day. And so um, he just said he was aware that they were bringing me. And so they kind of featured me and they were protective of me too. They were like, oh, she's, you know, she's a really young girl, be careful. You know, and so um, I, I actually thought it was fun. So I would bring all my girlfriends on there, like from high school. Then we just continued to dance on the show. And it was like a monthly thing. It lasted for a few years. It was fun. Did, did they pay you? And what was the process like? You, <laughs> said, you, said, you said it's once a month. And, yes. and, and from the outside looking in, when people think about Soul Train, I assumed, I guess, if you juxtapose American Bandstand, right, which was for like, I would say, mainstream america and then you had they created this show uh soul train which which was a nice place for a lot of people of color to get look at some earth wind and fire and some of the, the, the some of the bands that weren't pro weren't necessarily put on american bandstand what was that experience like for you and was there pressure for you in, in at, at soul train to dance a certain way or dress a certain way um so it's interesting you say that because I actually ended up going on American Bandstand too. Um, they didn't pay you and we would get KFC, which was cold chicken, warm coleslaw. And so the food was terrible. And um, we would dance all day. So we would get there early in the morning, probably like around 10. And we sometimes be there till one or two o'clock in the morning. We have to bring several outfits a day and dance for Saturday and Sunday once a month. So your feet would hurt, right? Because your feet would be worn out. And then they would say, okay, there was a certain dancers that were on the stages that they would rotate. And then you had to go down the line. And even though they put everyone in the line, it would always be the featured stage dancers that would always go down the line. Now, be, me being so young, I was always petrified because I watched these girls that I admired and that were beautiful and I wanted to dance like them. And I was kind of like, my dancing, I was okay. Like I wasn't a dancer. <laughs> So I would try to emulate them. I would look at their outfits and try to dress like them. I put my outfits together. And then I, my girlfriend uh, would make some of our clothes. And so we would have like, she would make suede pieces and we tie them up together. So we would be creative and try to be like these older women, which they actually, we were mature at that age. So they would let us hang out with them. They would sneak us in the clubs and they kind of took us under their wing. And several of those people I'm still really good friends with today. They're like my older sisters. They kind of guided me as far as relationships. And uh, we just wanted to be like them, right? So we just tried. There was, no, there was not a competition for us. It was, a, it was let's try to be like these women that we admire because we were so young. You know, at 16, we wanted to be like the 25-year-olds. So um, we tried to copy their outfits, <laughs> which is a compliment, right, for them. And and then how what was what was it like working for Don Cornelius? Don was not very friendly. Okay, so 
you never really knew where you stood. And um, we actually, my friend and I ended up going to American Bandstand for a couple months. We're like, okay, we're sick of this. We're going to go to American Bandstand because he doesn't talk to us. He's not that nice. And so we went to American Bandstand. Dick Clark was so sweet. He actually noticed my friend and I because he knows all his dancers. He picked us out right away and he featured us. So we were like, oh, this is cool. Dick Clark knows who we are. We're getting like the good treatment. We had good food. We're like, okay, we're coming back. And but the music, we couldn't handle the music. We're like, after the third month, we're like, oh, dude, we got to go back to Soul Train. <laughs> we can't do this rock and roll. Because <laughs> back then, if you were lucky if you got a, like a, 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 a urban, like an ethnic song or a black entertainer or whoever. Just, you know, the music was so, it was just too corny for us. So we had to go back to Soul Train <laughs> against some soul. We're like, we will just deal with the chicken. But what happened was during lunch, we would always go to the Mexican restaurant up the street. And my friends would get me margaritas. So then we would drink the margaritas. We were underage. They would get drinks for us. And then we come back down and go down the line. And then we were really good dancers. Then we were a little like, you know, I wasn't as stiff and nervous. It was so funny. We would go. It's not there anymore because it was on La Brea and, and uh, Sunset. And we would always go to that place and, and for lunch. So all the riser dancers would go to the to have margaritas and tacos for lunch. And everybody would eat chicken. So it was fun. What, Looking back now, you realize how much fun it was. You didn't realize it then. You complained. Now I look back and go, "Oh my God, that was awesome!" Right? So American Bandstand didn't play, uh, didn't pay as well. And did they? Did they also? Did you? Were no you one like, paid. They were no way to make any money. And so they would have you dance actually for like twelve hours at a time, and then they would only use small segments of it. And was were the studios yes. here? Were the studios here in LA? Yes. Yeah, so the it was the Charlie Chaplin Studio. Um, they end up moving later on down Sunset KTLA, I think. But the original studio is right on La Brea and Sunset. It was the Charlie Chaplin studio. Um, and we danced there for years, but they didn't pay. And the um, problem that people started having with Soul Train is when music videos started getting really popular, they kept inquiring about using the dancers, which they were phenomenal dancers on the show. And Don Cornelius could not transition into what was happening. And so he would not work with the dancers and give them work because for him, he felt like if he did that, then he would lose his dancers because they were making money, which he would have made more money if he would just use it as an agency. And my best friend who's married to the, who was the producer on the show tried to tell him, let's just form the soul train agency and then book the um, uh, dancers through our agency. He just didn't see it coming. And it just came through like a wave and just kind of, knocked it right out. I mean, he could have, that would have been phenomenal if he did that because they were approaching soul train all the time. Look, there's, we're doing this music video, that music video. And, um, that's kind of what happened, but no, a lot of people's careers started taking off though. They started working and doing that, you know? And so let me ask you this. Um, what was it like, I guess, when you interacting with the, the music guests were, would, would they did they interact with 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 the dancers much or did they just kind of do their set and leave what was that like for you they would interact sometime for the most part like sometimes they would actually ask for a dancer to do a dance segment while they were performing it happened rarely but i think that um 
they would sit in the audience. A lot of times I think the people, if they wanted to meet someone, they would sit in the audience and, and ask about certain women in the show. They're like, oh, what about this person, that person? That was happening, of course. And then Don would just sit back. But Don knew who everyone was. And if he didn't like you, like reflecting back on Don now would see him out and he knows my dad. He'd be like, oh, Elon, hey. But if you are on Soul Train, he's not talking to you. But if I saw him outside of Soul Train, he would be talking to me. And he did all his dancers like that. So he knew who you were. He just, after they had the Soul Train, they did the, uh, a Soul Train um, miniseries. And you really got to see him, how he really was his personality. And a lot of stuff made sense how he acted towards everyone and how he got where he got. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so you go, okay, he didn't get attached to anyone because it was business for him. He ran it like a business. And that's why he did. It wasn't easy, especially coming up at a time where you could not get a black show. And then what I did not know watching that miniseries is Dick Clark tried to buy him out because Soul Train became so, so popular and they were angry and tried to like push him away. So he had to fight all that, you know? And how, how was it? For you as a person of color, you started transitioning. I know you started dancing and getting on some videos. Yeah. And I want to go into that as well. How was it for you as a woman of color trying to get into Hollywood, the industry? Was it difficult? Because there weren't a lot of African-American women. I think Hollywood. my reality is distorted about color until I became older. Okay. Because I... I actually grew up with a famous father, right? I was able to get indoors, you know, in my prime being attractive woman, a pretty girl at that age. I was, I just, and I dated everybody. So like I had a white, black, brown, orange, green, <laughs> Martian, Asian. I've dated everyone under the sun. So I didn't really look at it that way. And then when I started modeling and having I got with Wilhelmina. I was with LA Models. And some of the jobs, I was actually doing a lot of rock videos. Like I did Aerosmith. I did LA Guns. Um, there's a couple others. I can't remember some of the artists. But I did a lot of rock videos too. So I was able to parlay and transition from, from the ethnic to, to, the, to all the you know, general mainstream stuff. And I did a lot of catalog modeling. Back then it was catalog, Spiegel, Eddie Bauer. Like there was a lot of stuff and I was always the black girl. And Mar matter of fact, Garcelle Bouveau, who's kind of well-known, we were like the two black girls we modeled together. We were not the same type, but if they didn't pick me, they'd pick her, right? So we were the kind of girls that would model and do those catalogs all the time they always had their girl. Now we didn't get the same as much work as the white girls, we might only get two or three days on a catalog, which the white girls would get a week, but we were making really good money then. And so we were just happy to work. We were just fortunate. Um, as I got older, things started changing a little bit. The rap videos started coming because I did a lot of music videos. And when that started being like not using models, that's when it started becoming more of a black and white thing, right? Um, I was just blessed that I didn't have that as an issue. It was hard for me trying to act. That's when I had a problem. When I went into, I went back to school for journalism and I started trying to host stuff because I wanted to do broadcast stuff. I wanted to have my own broadcast show. That's when I started getting an issue like, oh, we really like her. She's really good. She has the background and I had the credentials, but we don't want an ethnic girl. 
They weren't they weren't booking ethnic women even in the early 2000s. They weren't booking ethnic women to host stuff. It's changing now. Um, acting stuff. Yeah, we like her love interest, but mm, I don't know if we want a black girl. So that's when it started going. Oh, okay. Really? What? What, you know, would they would they actually tell you that? Oh, I would go in the room and they would say, "Can you act more black?" <laughs> I'd go, what does that mean? My son, who's now, you know, he's gone into acting. There was one movie with Taraji Henson, and he remembers this so clearly. He was about 12. It's a big film. And they asked him, they say, okay, well, redo that. Now he said the whole room, I remember, was like his third audition. He's like, the whole room, everyone in the room was white. And they were like, you and my son's pretty mixed because my husband's half white, half black. So he's a mixed looking kid can you be more black? And I just looked at him. I said, get ready. Cause you're about to, he's ethnic looking, but he, he, he looks like he could be whatever. Right. I said, get ready. Cause that's what I went through. That's them telling me how we're supposed to be. Cause then their ideas, that's their tra trajectory of what a black person acts like from the hood. I didn't grow up in the hood. A lot of people don't grow up in the hood. Right. So if you start showing those representations of our culture, then not everyone would have that stereotype of black people grew up and struggling. I had okay. that problem in a university. I had a professor who was from Poland and had immigrated here and he was teaching a class about South Central. And I said, excuse me, I didn't grow up in South Central. She goes, well, you know, I grew up with people and that's, I went to their house and that's how it is. I said, no, I think I've been black for a long time and I think I know how it is. And there's a lot of people who are prominent and people that invented your everyday things in life in this country, in America that you use on a daily basis. And if you're gonna be teaching in a university, you need to project the truth and stop projecting that. That is an economical thing. You grow up in your environment based on your economics. You know, some people are, you know, are in that category as far as their finances, but not everyone. It's like that. Some people are doctors, some people are lawyers, but you have to show that. Don't teach that class, you know. And at that time, because I was in my 30s, I was a little bit older and I was pretty vocal. Um, I don't know if you liked it, but I, I kind of said it straight. So what, when did you start getting, when did you transition from the dancing at soul training and how did you get discovered and then kind of transition into the modeling part of your life? And then you... I am, um, well, people kept saying you should model, you should model because I was, skinny and tall and actually believe it or not I'm five nine but I'm the shortest girl out of all my friends who are models all my friends who are models are five ten and above and um I went over overseas to London they wanted my dad to let me go over to Europe when I was 16 and he was like no I'm not which I'm glad now because I was mad at the time he's like no she can't go she's too young um and my mother couldn't go because she was working and so as I got older um I just kind of delved into it. And then I started working. I just started going to the agencies and trying to, you know, put my foot in the door. But I think the opportunities were different because I was a go-getter. So I would try to find ways to be creative and reinvent myself. So I would take my pictures and I would go to casting offices and I would drop them off. I would visit different people and send letters. And someone taught me to do that. You can't do that now because if you're not known, they won't even see you. And you have to have all these numbers and you have to be there. It's just ridiculous. But back then, a casting person would run across your picture and call you in. And it's uh, uh, there's um, Miguel Nunez. This is a funny story. Miguel Nunez, you know who he is? He's an actor. He's been around for a long time. I was at a party. I was 18. And there was a casting agent or the uh, 
agency there. And this guy asked who I was. And he's like, oh, I know her. I'll introduce you to her. And I always tell him that he's responsible. Now he had done all kinds of movies. And um, he introduced me to them and gave them my information. And they start sending me out and I start working. So I'm thankful to him. And my son actually ended up doing a audition with him recently. And I told him he needed to tell him who he, who he was so he could get him discovered. <laughs> So, so were you doing the modeling at the same time as uh, as the music videos? You were doing well, both. I started doing music videos after I, when I started modeling because then they would only book you through your modeling agency. <clears throat> so then, like I did Bobby Brown, I did Richard Marks. They were paying us a lot of money. Now the girls don't make any money in music videos. We were getting like 10 grand a day. So why do you think that is? Um, because they stopped using models and they, which I think it's wonderful that they start using just pretty girls. You didn't have to have this set standard, this body type. You didn't have to be this height. You didn't have to be this color, but when they branched that out and they started doing music videos and, and I think they sexualized women in the music videos, when that started happening, it lost the credibility. And so they would get a couple hundred dollars and then the girls to get featured would have to do more to get featured in the videos. And so I think it just kind of lock, lost its whole um, value. And what was that experience like doing the music videos? You, you did a, a, a music videos with a lot of famous people. What were those experiences like? It's, it's, I, it, I assume it's a lot of hard work based upon, I never, I never realized that you would be dancing from 10 in the morning to one in the morning. I, I envisioned that you can't, <laughs> I guess in my own mind, I envisioned you did. You were there for a couple hours and you left. No, no. So, and then music videos, the same thing. It's all day. It's all day, repetitive, repetitive. And you have to look good. And I remember someone uh, giving me a, a little tip because you get tired and you have to still look good on camera. They're like, eat a banana. Dancers taught me that. Eat a banana, you know, get your potassium, potassium up. Um, it was all day shoot. Sometimes music videos would take 16 hours, 12 hours. I mean, they're never short because you have to fit everything in one day. Unless it's a huge artist, you would have multiple days. And back then the music videos were really expensive. Now they're cheap to shoot. Back then they had $100,000 budget, $200,000 budgets. Now you could shoot a video for $3,000 and make it look good, right? Because you have your iPhone. And what was the pre it seems like you're so driven what how did you how did you deal with failure back then and what would you give it as, as advice to people in terms of how you became so successful because you're so driven like you said you actually went and did the extra effort of driving there and, and not dropping off your photos where did that come from well i tell my son this too all the time and i and when I wanted to get into the modeling and do music videos, um, my father's manager said I was not pretty enough to be um, to do videos and that my teeth were crooked or something, some excuse. He just didn't want me to be in the video. And I was like, really? And I've always had this model from my great grandmother. I could show you better than I could tell you. I was like, well, I do know that I'm attractive enough. So I know that's bull crap. Right. And you're going to tell me what I cannot do. And I think at that time I wanted this, I wanted this car. I wanted a Porsche and my dad said, I'm not getting it for you. And I was, Oh yeah. Okay. Watch this. So I was determined to get that Porsche <laughs> and I did because I was going to work and I was going to figure it out. And I tell my son, if you want something bad enough, never settle. Cause when you settle, then you stop having the drive to do better. So when you have something, 
You always want more. Not that it's being materialistic. It's giving you something to look forward to, something to put your energy into, right? And so for me, when someone tells me no, I like to move in silence. I don't like to tell people. And I've learned this as I've gotten older because I helped a lot of people and people don't do the same for you. So when you want to do something, do it, but don't tell anyone. Because even if they don't do anything per se, their energy, a lot of people are jealous and envious and they don't, I call them non-well-wishers. And so they don't put that energy out into you. So you have to just say, this is what I want to do. Be focused and move in silence and do the best you can. Because if it doesn't happen, then people are always like, oh, see, I told you. So don't ever let someone tell you no, because there are people that are mediocre and are very successful. You have to believe in yourself. And do something that makes you happy because that makes you successful when you enjoy what you're doing, right? That's my thing. Just don't accept no, because that's, and that's, you know, I would say that's your opinion. You may not like the way I look, or you may not think I'm right for this thing, but what I'm doing is based on opinion. So somebody else out there are, is going to like who I am or what I do, or, and I think I'm, I'm a professional person. You know, I'm not superficial. I like to work. I like to give people and show up on time, be on time too, and stick to your word. Don't lie. You don't have to tell everything, but don't lie to people. And you'll bring yourself good energy, you know? Elon, let me ask you, when you were in the Molly industry, it's it's funny because you, your entire life, you've been in very high stress jobs where it's so competitive. Mm-hmm. What were some of the big barriers for you when you, some of the stressors for you when you were in modeling? You know, it was disappointments for people who you thought were your friends who wanted to see you do well. To me, that was always hurtful because I would always find out later on, you know, I would do well and then I would bring somebody else on and I thought they wanted me to see me do well. And, um, I remember my agent saying to me, how come the girls are so competitive? And she made a comment, this is my white agent, how come the black girls are so competitive? And that was, I never forgot that, which is true. And I think that's one thing as ethnic people, we have to learn how to support each other. If we could support each other, we can do better because we already have a big battle to fight on a daily basis. And I don't want to make it a black or white thing because everyone has a part in this industry. But when your own kind doesn't support you, then if we work together, we could be more successful or just be happy because you're going to get what is being blessed. God will bless you if you're supposed to be in that room and get that job. That other person is going to get the job at some point. You just weren't right for it. It takes a while to get to that point to realize that that's just what that just wasn't your time. That's the hard part when you want something so bad. And especially if you are relying on this 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 job to pay your bills for your career. Right. You, I, I think you also have to have something as a backup just in case. Now there's more opportunities for your own businesses because you have the Internet. You know, we didn't have any of that then. We had to do the groundwork. There was no computers. There was no internet. There was no someone seeing you. You had to drive. We didn't have a, a Google Maps. We had to have the top of the sky <laughs> to figure out how to go on auditions. And, and you also had to learn how to be safe and be able to navigate. You have to be able to assess the room and assess the situations you're in. Many times you go to auditions in a warehouse in the middle of nowhere and you're by yourself in that room. And if something feels off, you need to leave. 
it's different. Yeah, that, I, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. You know, you hear about these stories, uh, uh, you know, for in, in Hollywood. Yeah. Did you feel any of that pressure when you were like from people maybe that were you were auditioning or it just didn't feel right to you and you just said, I got, I, it's better for me just to leave this situation? Or did you ever feel any kind of pressure from anybody that you felt like, you know, this doesn't sound feel quite right? Was that yeah, something? I, I've had a couple of things happen to me. And I've been propositioned. And when women say stuff like, well, this person asked me to come over to, uh, to dinner at eight o'clock to go over a script, or they uh, asked me to meet them somewhere. I'm like, okay, you know, come on, you know better. I knew better. I just wouldn't go. And, and, and I actually, my career didn't get as, because I, I did really well. And then I started having some major people approach me and I probably could have really blown up, but I just wasn't willing to do the things that they wanted me to do. And being that I had a father who was already famous, I'm like, I don't want him to hear that I did, you know, A, B, and C. Um, so when girls say, well, I didn't know. And I, I went in there and I wasn't, you know, somewhat what's going on. That's why you go, there's nothing going on after hours and there's no restaurant open and the kitchen closes at nine o'clock at night. So if you're not going to dinner, you're not going, don't be going to anyone's hotel or house or going over any work if it's not midday or the coffee shop. So what advice would you give somebody that was trying to enter the modeling industry in terms of things that they need to be aware of? I think for modeling now, it's difficult. I don't suggest you use that as a career because, you know, you can be, I would say I was a blue collar model, model, even though I did, you know, magazine covers, I did a lot of stuff. I wasn't editorial. I was very more all American. So I did a lot of catalog. Well, you can't do catalog and make a living anymore because that's gone because most of the stuff is on the internet and all the clothes are on the internet. And at that time I was making two grand a day. This is in the early nineties. And that was like every day, like I, that was good money for my age at 20 years old, 21 years old. Like I was able to sustain and have a good lifestyle. Um, and there's only like that 1% that makes it big. And then that 1%, if you're ethnic, you know, that makes it big. Now they only want famous actresses and, and singers for modeling now. All these campaigns, if you get a big campaign, you know, like Naomi Campbell became a big model. But now you see Rihanna on everything because she's already famous. So it's very difficult to achieve that because now with the with the um, AI thing and they can kind of do the models the way they want them to look exactly. They alter everything on the computer. I say, yes, do it for fun. And if you happens to take off, that's wonderful. But always have a backup. And it's always remember it's short lived. I had some models that gave me this advice when I was young. And I remember their faces like yesterday. They said, listen, don't go buy the expensive cars. Don't go buy the expensive houses. Save your money. Invest it. Because you're going to hit an age where it's just not going to, you're not going to keep working. Well, you're 30 years old. You think you're still young. Right? But then they start fading you out at 30. That's just the reality. And I okay. spent a lot of my money by then. So I went to go back to school and I was like, well, gosh, I wish I would have listened. And I did. Well, you know, I was going to ask you, Lon, there's an expiration date, right? In, in modeling. Is there an expiration date in Hollywood as well? Um, I, well, for us, I find that there, well, now it's a little different, but, you know, as ethnic people in modeling, they would go, oh, she's overexposed. She's in every video. She's in commercials. Let's get the new person. So, you know, we may be able to work longer because we don't age as fast. And that's just the reality. Black women seem to work longer. Black men seem to work. Ethnic people work longer. 
but the white girls get more work and they get more money. But we it kind of balances out because we work longer. But you have to go into other areas. You have to go into areas that fit you because they will recycle you as an ethnic person. They will go, okay, you're the flavor of the month. And so we have our token and we always have our token. And if you look at the actresses, you see a whole bunch of new young like white actresses and white actors you've never seen before and their careers take off. But then you see the same ethnic actors that they keep recycling and they won't let anyone new in the door. They're starting to change now. I have to say things are starting to finally change, but that's because there's a whole new young generation that are behind the scenes that are producers and directors and innovative artists that are doing new stuff. And then I know I, and I'm going to go into this a little bit as well. Cause I, 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 I guess this is very interesting in some ways. What was it like? You, I know you dated Prince and you've dated all these different musicians. Was it hard to, is, relationships are difficult to balance generally in the most perfect world, right? Um, but when you have somebody in, in, in a big spotlight and then you yourself are in the industry, was it more difficult to have those relationships? And then how did you kind of handle those pressures? Um. I was kind of like a dude. I had a dude mentality. <laughs> so I was like, whatever. <laughs> um, I actually saw what my mother went through and I dated high profile people. I, I didn't take them seriously because I didn't trust any of them because I saw what my mother dealt with. <laughs> so I would just have fun and go out with them. And I really, a, a lot of them, I just didn't get intimate with them. I'd be like, oh, I'll go out to dinner with you. I'll hang out with you. I just wanted to have relationships with, but for the most part, I'm like, you're full of, I'm, you got a thousands of me's <laughs> and different, third, like 31 flavors of me's. And I was very aware. And I think I might've passed up some people that actually liked me a lot because of that. Cause I was like, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, we'll see. Um, no, I didn't have any pressure. I was like a guy. I didn't care. <laughs> So I'm you, so, I, want it. I yes. was like, I'm bored. I'm going to go out with you and you and you. So and you I'm going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so I was you, young. So, yeah. you know, you you know, it wasn't a bad thing because I wasn't doing anything. But for me, I was like, I'm just having a good time. It was like a guy. I didn't think anything of it because I was asleep with them, right? I was just kind of whatever. But I so had a couple was, of relationships. And, so and the one, huh? So you basically like had a very realistic outlook. Of, you knew yes. you weren't, you, you weren't, you didn't put yourself in a situation where it was unrealistically, I thought this was going to lead no. to a marriage. No. You, and, you, I, and, you, and the one that I did, one or two that I did have a relationship with, it was, it turned out exactly which I how I thought it was going to turn out. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I don't want anyone in this industry. I'm not, I, I don't have the personality. I can't deal with it. And I have bad temper. So this is not going to work for me or you. I promise you. <laughs> so I'm going to back out gracefully. And, you know... I just said, I just don't have the personality. And and they ended up like being friends with me later because they knew I wasn't going to tolerate it. Like, I'm like, okay, you know what? That you've, you've crossed the line one too many times. You know? And, you, and, and I know. I'm, I'm had there like, she's crazy. Don't mess with her. And, and I know, I know you said wonderful things about um, Prince. You said he, he was, was so just... much fun. He was the most fun out of everyone I went out with. And why was that? Um, And I've dated some other people that are very well known. Um, he was the kind of person that, first of all, I see why women like him. He was very much uh, uh, 
respected women. Regardless, he acted like he respected women. Like, what do you want? He would send a car to come get me. You know, what do you want to eat? He would laugh at me because he told me I like to eat all the time because most women don't want to eat. And so they always have it. He had this, this, this housekeeper or this cook that always make this pasta for me. He's like, what do you want? I'm like the pasta again. He goes, you have no shame, right? <laughs> that was in there to eat. <laughs> but he was just a fun guy. Like he liked to play pool, how they talk about him playing the basketball in his high heels. He was like a jokester, totally different than what you would think, but really respectful. Like if you go out with him and he had his bodyguards, he would make sure that they make sure if you went to the bathroom, he would send his people with you. Most guys who had bodyguards would have, you walk behind them and the bodyguards are walking with him. He was opposite. He would be like, oh, okay, you take her out first and you walk with her and you make sure she gets in. And it just made you feel like special whether, I mean, you know, he was Prince. He, 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 knew, he knew how, he was five, four and sexy and knew how to work it. <laughs> and funny, he was funny. So how did, how did you transition? So you, you stopped your modeling and then you started, you transitioned into writing and you're doing all these other different projects. How was that transition for you out of the modeling and dancing into this other part of, of Hollywood and entertainment that you didn't have a lot of experience in? So you just, you said you went back to school and you, what did you study? Uh, journalism. So I wanted to be a writer and I actually had gotten a, I was up for, I can't remember. It was like K-Rock, one of the big radio uh, stations as a new, like a, a podcaster on the station. And I moved to England and got married. And I was teetering whether I should have stayed here or not, because it probably would have parlayed into something else because I worked so hard to finally get there, right? And I ended up moving to Europe. Um, and as when I was in Europe, I married someone who was in finance. And so he's American, but we moved to Europe. And so I was exposed to a different lifestyle and being in that I was in entertainment. So like, hey, we would go to, oh, let's go to Spain for the weekend and go to a party. Let's go to, we would go to a party and then there would be like yachts with helicopters on it and jet skis. And I was like, oh, this is a different kind of money. <laughs> you know, the guys would have these parties and like, oh, let's go to Saint-Tropez. And I'm like, you know, you, we think we're doing something in LA. We're not doing nothing, all this money and entertainment. It was a different kind of money. And so I started writing about these four or five guys um, who are in finance, because basically it was like being in a fraternity. There are these rich guys who just were like bad boys who could just have the same shenanigans, but were intelligent and had the finances to get out of it. So I wrote this show called The Trader. And I wrote it literally 16 years ago in Starbucks in London, came back to, uh, to America, shopped it for years at Lionsgate. It is now billions on TV. And I remember I, I it was it's billions. It's I mean, the my episode, the first episode is almost exact same script. Wow. Registered, did everything. And the two people that I had shopping it for me, I remember there was one person who was very high profile in haven't been able to prove it high profile at Lionsgate. And someone said, well, it doesn't seem believable that this black girl wrote this about finance and she is saying all this stuff. I'm like, but it's really what happens. Like I've lived this life. And then the Wolf of Wall Street came out. And when the Wolf of Wall Street came out, then I was approached again about the script. And anyway, it ends up being billions. I actually am going to turn it into a book and rewrite it um, because I wrote it so long ago, so many things have happened and so many things that 
have changed in that industry that I could just update it because trying to get someone, because it was a series. So trying to get someone to back it was so difficult because everyone would come up with different excuse, but it would have taken off because what they have missed. And I can't watch billions. It makes me mad, especially when I first, I literally, it's almost the same conversation. The first episode, um, they miss the lifestyle, which they probably, you have to live it. Right. So that's my one project. Then the next project I have is a book that I was writing um, called um, The Women's Bible. And it's about relationships. And it really kind of parlays what you do because it's basically the traumas and why we decide and do what we do in the relationships now. But there's a lot of self, there's a lot of relationship books. This one is basically, you know how you have a friend who's in a relationship and you can look at it and say, hey, you know, why don't you do this? When you're in it, you can't see it. And so I set up, I have like scenarios in the book of fictional, because they're real relationships that I've changed the names and say, okay, well, how would you do that? Like you can see it once you read it. And my mother said the disciples are going to read, write it if I don't finish it. Cause that's how long ago I started that and finished it. <laughs> so I have to finish that. So those are the two projects I have that I I vow that I'm going to finally do this year. I'm going to finish it. I want to do the trader first and then I'll, I'll finish the relationship. <laughs> and then, uh, and then your, your son has um, a quite, uh, you're, you're helping your son with your career. He's a singer. So how did he get started in this? Oh my God. It's amazing. Cause I have no musical talent. I can't sing a lick. Matter of fact, bringing, talking about Prince, I was sitting in the club one day and we were sitting there and I was singing this song. He asked me, cause he likes to like put women on. He's like, can you sing? I want to put your hair in Afro. I was like, I don't have Afro hair, but he also can give me a wig. Right. And so I'm in the club and I'm singing and he goes, you really can't sing. <laughs> so, oops. <laughs> so my son who actually started doing He's not a sports person. We we're talking about this this morning. He actually started doing musical theater and I started putting him in acting at a young age. And he actually did a movie for the Revolt Film Festival that won as a deaf mute kid as the best short when he was 12. Um, my nephew, who's a director and he's done very well, put him in this movie. And then he wanted to do music. And my, my father brought him on stage during My Girl and all these girls were screaming for them at six years old. I mean, for, you know, uh, my father. And then they brought him on and he started screaming and my son got the bug. He's like, why are these people screaming? Ooh, I like this. And then he started, at, you know, trying to um, do musical stuff. And so my uncle, who's Benjamin Wright, who's a composer, um, I wanted to record a song for him at 12, 13. He, we happened to go to the studio. He said, yeah, you come play around. Teddy Riley happened to be in the studio and helped do the song. It wow. basically bullied him to do the song. <laughs> so he did his song and I was had that. Not that I don't know if Teddy, Teddy's okay with that, but I like to say, you know, Teddy Riley did Trace's first song. And then, you know, he kept developing and he now writes, he actually uh, compo like composes his music. He uh, plays the drums, he's learning the piano and he's doing, he's going to school for musical theater, theory, hoping to transition to USC. He's hoping to get to, into USC music school. Um, so now he's full force and he actually had a feature with the game, the rapper, the game last year, and he's a business person and he's, you know, that's, I'm, I'm managing him. And, you know, he's really good about listening. At first, he kind of fights me because I'm the mom. And I was good. Oh, you're the momager. I'm like, I was in the industry. I have a father who's been doing this for 60 years because Otis is actually the business of the person of the temptations. He's the founder. He's 
put the group together and Ain't Too Proud, the play is actually about his life story. It's him, like everything about him. So he's groomed me. And that's one thing I got from him. And it's probably why I'm a go-getter because he's like, I'm not going to give it to you and I'm not going to help you. You got to work for it. And the same with Trace. He's, he's helped Trace and done some um, appearances with him. We did a whole media tour, but now he's like, you have to do the work. And he, I told Trace, I said, you know what? He's going to make you work hard because he doesn't want you to be mediocre. And now he's seeing, he goes, okay, he's doing good. He's doing good. So, you know, we're trying to get him there. Yeah. You know, I was going over some of the, the some of the most famous songs of the Temptations, My Girl. Um, I mean, these are classics that like everybody knows. I mean, and, and it must've been so interesting for you growing up and everybody's like so in awe of these songs and you're like, well, my dad did that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, we're in the stores, we're in the mall, and every day we're sitting in a restaurant and his song comes on. And my daughter's like, I'm like, oh, it's grandpa's song. Let's call him. And he'll start laughing, you know, because that's when they realize when they hear his songs all the time and then they saw the Temptation movie, then they realize he was famous because they really didn't pay attention until my son just watched a movie recently, like two years ago. He's like, oh, he's more famous than I thought. I'm like, well, we almost go out on a daily basis and you hear one of the songs and, and they have the music. They don't even know what's him. I have to say, you know who that is, right? So he, he's, he's very, he's proud. Well, I get, to, this is my fun. I, I love doing this part of my podcast. It's like usually those, like the last 10 minutes or so. And I get to ask you some fun questions because okay. you have such an amazing life. And I think we, you and I spoke previously. I think we're going to have to have you on again because I think I could have like 10 hours of your life. And oh, I, 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 I appreciate it. I can just talk. So you just no, but you know, no, no. But you know what? The thing about Elon, you have such, and I told you this um, previously, you have such great energy and good spirit. And any other interview I've seen you on, it just comes right through that how positive you are. Um, how encouraging you are. And when I asked you to come on the podcast, th one of the things I was really, really impressed with, you said, I really want to do the podcast because I want to make a difference in the world. We all need to help each other. It's, it's so wonderful to hear somebody like yourself say that, um, given the situation that you had growing up and how much you've made out of your life and how so positive you are. And one of the things that really struck me was you said, you know, I really am working hard for my for my children to have a good life. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's amazing. And that's one of my first questions is what what are the, what's your favorite thing about being a mom? Oh, wow. You know, my kids are funny. I, I really can enjoy them now because now they're teenagers. I have a 14 year old. She acts 50. She's my academic kid. Very, very smart. But, you know, she calls me out on stuff and she tells me, don't don't be a hypocrite. I'm like, excuse me, I can say that to my mom. Don't be a hypocrite. Like if I tell her no, I have to give her reasons. And then she's going to break down to me why that their pros and cons. And instead of getting angry with her, because our parents don't allow us to do that. right? <laughs> my father's like, you can't allow her. I'm like, no, let her express herself because I want her to be able to go on to the world and tell people, look. And, and my daughter's more, very ambiguous looking, more so than my son. I, I want her to be as a woman, and she's very smart, to be able to, to take care of herself, right? And to be confident. And if I, put, if I take that away from her, she won't have that confidence. 
So I enjoy her. And my son is like my, my sidekick, you know, we laugh and joke and we talk a lot of crap together. Like we talk crap. <laughs> we just, we just are like silly kids. And I think my son thinks I'm silly. Like he's like, my mom is like a child. Like, you know, I'll chase him around the house. I'll jump on his back. I punch him. I try to box him. It's like, I want a boy because I want to punch. I want to punch you. <laughs> so I just have fun with them every single day. I'm enjoying, like, you know, I didn't think I was going to have kids actually for a while because I got married a little later. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have kids. It's kind of past that, that stage, but I just have fun with them. And now, you know, I have friends that have new kids because I got new recently married. And I was like, Ooh, I couldn't even think about having that reset button. I have my son go get my latte. That's what I enjoy. I bought him a car because I was like, why haven't you got my Starbucks? And he's like, Oh, I'm tired. I'm like, dude, go get my Starbucks right now. That's why I got you that car. <laughs> Oh, you're a smart woman. Now, let me ask you this. If you could meet one person in, in the history of the world, who would it be and what would you say? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I think it would almost be like, well, it would, ha would it have to be current or can I go back in history? In history, anytime. Oh, I would like to be like in the Egyptian times. And learn the Egyptian culture and, and, and the pharaohs and what they did, Imhotep. I want to know like the medicines and how they healed and grew limbs back. I want to know that kind of stuff. Okay, so what about this? If okay, what would the older Elon tell the younger Elon in terms of life advice? Be patient, listen more, because that's how much you learn. And, and trust yourself, not everybody else. And then, um, and this is, what is your guilty pleasure, food-wise? Potato chips. I like to eat potato chips at night in bed. <laughs> I love salsa. I sit in the, in the bed and I eat potato chips and I'll have like a ginger ale. My son's like, seriously, seriously, you're eating potato chips? So I've been trying to get on a potato chip strike, but the, I've been cheating the last few days. It's time for me to do a fast. I love chips. I like to eat. So coffee and two things that I love. I love sushi and I like coffee. So those are the two things I don't want to give up. And I like pizza, but I don't eat, eat pizza like I used to because it doesn't, you know. Uh, how about uh, favorite country in Europe? Oh, uh, I have a new favorite place, but I love Italy. What do you like I about Italy? I love Italy. I love the culture. I love the food. I love Italian food anyway. Florence is probably my favorite. So you have to make sure you watch that movie from scratch with Zoe Saldana. Oh, okay. I will. Yeah. I will. I'll, I'll, you're going to know all the, all the places in Italy. And, um, oh. This and I like Dubai my... real quick. Dubai is my new favorite place too. I heard good things about Dubai too. And then um, let me ask you, what it, at the end of the day, when we all look back at your life, when you're no longer here, mm -hmm. when, when people mention your name, what do you want to be remembered for? That I was a good person and I try to help other people. Um, you know, I think that when I help people, it makes me feel good, right? So I, I, I hope that people, the things I said or trying to guide certain people or my kids, it resonates with them. And, and, and they take that and carry it with them through life because my goal is to make you a better person 
Or if I think I did good things, I want to make you a better version of what I did. So you do it better than what I did and, 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 and do it the correct way, you know, because I've already made those mistakes. Right. But I want you to do a better job of what I'm trying to guide you to do. And now I want you to go ahead and I want you to, I know that you have a lot of stuff going on and I definitely want you, we have like maybe five or six minutes left. And I want to, I want you to talk a little bit about, I know you have a, um, your project coming out with uh, your digital photos. So you have to talk, talk about that. And how would, how, number one, how, if someone wanted to follow you on social media or anything, how would they, how would they follow you? Um, I'm Elon Carter P on IG. Um, I mean, Elon Carter Price on Facebook. I haven't released my um, NFT yet. It's really cool. So there are some playmates. I was in Playboy. I think you know that. So um, there's some girls that we've done a digital platform, but our stuff, is, and there's another group of girls, but ours is stuff real artsy. It's stuff that you can actually put on your wall. We have an artist that has done phenomenal work. The colors are great. It's still beautiful, sexy, pretty women, but it's not the nude stuff because you can always get that on the internet. This is something that I think that you can look at is if you went to a gallery and got, it's because it's that cool. Um, probably and within two weeks, I can release it. I've been trying to, I was on another podcast and they're asking, when are you going to release it? We've got some Playmates of the Year and we actually have a contest of some new young girls coming out that are going to be featured in it. Um, we've got some, uh, we have a Japanese guy who's behind it, who's big in the race car industry and investor. We've got a team of people. Um, it's VSB. It's called VSB. I can only give you the initials at this point. Um, and it's basically like it's it's you're going to go to another world to see these girls. If you remember, I dream a genie where she went into the bottle in the space bottle. You're going to go to another planet to see this. So this is a new world that we've created in a different realm of reality. But fun. So how, how do they launch it? Is it going to be launched online? Yes, we're going to be launching it online. Actually, I've been working on this over a year. So there's a lot of development, a lot of artists, a lot of the digital stuff, creation, um, um, you know, what is, I can't even think of it right now. When you go into the houses and you're, you're virtual in the houses, when it's kind of 3D, you're going to actually be in it, right? You can be actually in that. Um, so it, it, it's going to be very advanced, way more than what I could possibly do. That's why I have the experts working on it because my, my, um, digital and technology technological stuff is, is something to be desired well i want to tell you thank you so much for doing the podcast today i'm definitely going to have you on again um you're just such a positive good person and the whole reason this podcast exists is to motivate people and you inspire me it feels good to know that there's such wonderful people um in the industry yeah. like you and thank you. um thank you for just being so kind to me and in the meantime, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Until next time, keep learning and see you soon.